Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Here in Galatians chapter number four, we have a story that I believe is a Christmas story in some ways, and I'd like to break this down, and I'd like to preach a four-week study about the topic of Christmas. We're going to stray from Revelation, and the Lord's just led me that it probably is just the timing of of preaching about Armageddon today after our children's program is probably not exactly the wisest thing for me to do. And so we're going to spend um, uh, the balance of the four Sundays of December speaking on the topic of Christmas, and we'll resume our study in the book of Revelation in the month of January. Here in Galatians chapter 4, I'd like to share with you why Christmas is really the perfect season, and Christmas Day is the perfect day. In Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to read the first seven verses. Would you follow along? Now I say that the heir, as long as he as a child differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made or born of a woman, made or born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. May I ask you this morning, have you been adopted? Are you an heir? Are you a son or a daughter? If you can say that this morning, I trust you can say amen right now. It is the perfect season for us to recognize whether or not we are in that relationship. We have been adopted into that family. Christmas also means that, that, that God is, is he's never late. God never misses a deadline. And I would like to break down this passage of Scripture and to share with you historically how important Christmas really is. Do you know that there's going to be a lot of celebration of Christmas? There'll even be those who X out the word Christ and call it Xmas. The shoppers uh, will go in uh, by the thousands into the malls and into the department stores and spend a lot of money uh, uh, attempting to buy happiness or buy love at uh, the time appointed that you will celebrate Christmas and exchanging of gifts. My friend, Christmas is so much more than that. But when I study the Word of God, and I realize that in the 66 books of the Bible, written during different time periods, written hundreds and hundreds of years apart, and how that it all works together, it is an amazing story. God sent his son into this world at exactly the right time. God's timetable is always perfect. And our timetable and and God's timetable, sometimes they're not in alignment. There are times that we pray for God. God, 
you are my servant, and I want you to act right now. And we pray, God, give me that promotion right now. God, get me out of debt right now. God, give me that house right now. We might pray, God, give me patience and give it to me right now. Uh, we, we often bid God as our servant, but I want to say that we must understand that God in his wisdom, God chooses not to answer many of those prayers. The one who created everything from nothing, who sees the end from the beginning, who embodies all wisdom and knowledge. I want you to understand this morning, he's never late. He's always right on time. It may not be our time, but his timetable is always correct and on time. And during this Christmas season, we see a reminder of the fact that God acted in just the right time when he sent his son to this earth. Look with me there in verse 4 of our text. It says this, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That, to me, is an amazing statement. Have you ever thought that there was a perfect time for the Savior to be born? You might say, Pastor, does this mean that there was one time in all of history when all things were perfectly aligned when Jesus was to be born? I believe that's exactly what is being written here in verse number 4. Jesus came at precisely the right time. Christmas should remind us that God always has perfect timing. Now you might be thinking, so what? What does that mean to me? May I just share with you that God's timing is also perfect in your life? Do you know that in the year 2022, God knew before he ever spoke this world into existence some six to 7,000 years ago that he knew that you would be alive now? And in his perfect timing, he has a perfect will for your life. And just as the people of Jesus' day didn't understand God's timing then, you may not understand what's going on in your life now. But may I just say, God has a perfect plan, a perfect will, and his timing is perfect for your life. So today, um, I'm asking God, the God of heaven, I've already prayed that the God of heaven would speak to your heart as we enter officially the Christmas season with our first Sunday of December. And in this passage, I would like to share with you about God's perfect plan. And we really think there's three aspects of God's perfect plan. And so let me break this down. Some of my message is a little bit tedious. And so you watch that person next to you and don't allow them to go to sleep. We, we're going we're gonna to explain from the Word of God some tedious things. I think under, sometimes we need to get into the, the, the weeds, if you will. We need to get in and understand more about how God's Word was written. And I'd like to do that this morning. But bear with me on that. In God's perfect plan, number one, I see the preparation of his planning, the preparation that took place for his coming. There was great preparation. We are told uh, uh, that the first advent or that first coming uh, of Christ, it happened in the fullness of the time. Throughout the Old Testament, there were numerous prophecies that was given concerning the coming Messiah. There were prophecies concerning the manner of his birth, that he would be born of a virgin. Boy, isn't that important? You know why that's important? Because he was born of a virgin, the, the Bible, we can take that and we can understand it medically that Jesus was born 
sinless. He was born perfect. There were prophecies concerning the place of his birth, that he would be born in Bethlehem. I'm going to illustrate that in just a moment, how significant that is. We see these prophecies being fulfilled as Jesus was born on that glorious night. But just as there will be a perfect time uh, for his second coming, I can submit to you there was a perfect time for his first coming. Uh, God had pulled all things together to prepare for that first coming of Christ and for the beginning uh, of the preaching of what we refer to as the gospel message of Jesus Christ. May I just share with you, first of all, that there was religious preparation. There was religious preparation. Throughout the Old Testament, God had been dealing with his chosen people. They were a nation called Israel, and it would be through the nation of Israel that the Messiah would come. But Israel, do you know they were always straying from God? They were in this cycle. They simply refused to worship him alone. And they were always following the gods with a little g uh, of the peoples around them. And over and over again, God had to judge them for their idolatry. And we see in the culmination of the judgment uh, for the nation of Israel what is known as the Babylonian captivity. God finally allowed the entire nation of Israel to be conquered by Babylon. And they were taken from their homeland. Uh, and, the, and that major effect of the Babylonian captivity is that it, that it did return the Jews to monotheism. During that captivity, the Jews came in contact with a people known as the Persians. Now, the Persians were Zoroastrians, or they were monotheists, if you will. And as a matter of fact, there are many commentators that believe the Magi were uh, Zoroastrian priests. Uh, we, we have no way to confirm this. It makes logical sense. Uh, but in any event, it seems that the Jews were delivered from following after the idols of those pagan nations around them. And they began monotheistically to believe in God. This, we're getting into the weeds here, but bear with me. This is important. I want to challenge some of you mentally this morning. The second major effect of this Babylonian captivity is that the canon of the Old Testament Scripture was completed under a man by the name of Ezra. So for the first time, we have the body of the Old Testament literature known as the Jewish Bible, and the, or we would call it the Christian Old Testament. It was pulled together, and it paved the way for the preaching of the gospel of Christ. There was a third effect of Israel being um, captured and in Babylonian captivity, and that is, is that the Jewish synagogue came into being. Until that time, the Jews had worshipped at the temple of Jerusalem, but we know that the Jerusalem temple had been destroyed. And so the Jews developed a, a method of assembly we now know as the synagogue. The synagogue, incidentally, is the pattern on which the Christian churches fashion. So we can see from all of these events the religious preparation for the coming of Christ. These three events needed to take place for the birth of Jesus to come into fruition. So there, there was this uh, religious preparation. But you know, there was also cultural preparation. Cultural preparation. In 350 BC, before Christ, there arose a man by the name of Alexander. He was the son of the Macedonian king whose name was Philip. And we know him as Alexander the Great. 
In fact, if you study history, and I love studying history, Alexander the Great, he conquered the known world in 12 years. And under Alexander's influence, the world became Greek in culture and philosophy and institutions and art and drama and literature and architecture, thought and, and in medicine and even language. And Greek was spread so, wi- so widely that the ordinary people became very familiar with a, a style of Greek known as Koine Greek. And it actually became an international language during this time period. Now, why is this important? This is very important because in 280 B.C., the Hebrew Scriptures were translated into Greek. And this was called the Septuagint. And the stage was set for the preaching of the gospel. Religiously, the Old Testament scriptures were gathered. Linguistically and culturally, the lines of communication were open. And the time was right for Jesus prophetically to be born. There was religious preparation. And certainly there was cultural uh, preparation. But during this time period, there was also political preparation political preparation let's study what happened when jesus came by the time that jesus was born rome ruled the world the romans had conquered all the nations around them and in doing so they built roads that would link the entire roman empire they 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 suppressed open criminal acts and they created a postal system And God determined uh, that those uh, who would ascend to the power in the Roman Empire, it was within God's plan. And so at the coming of Christ, there was a man by the name of Caesar Augustus. Uh, He was the emperor. And little did he know that, uh, that during this time that he would call for something called a census. How many of you have ever participated in a census? We all have. Every 10 years we're supposed to do that. They participated in a census. Why was that important? Folks, there's no mistakes in our Bible. There's no mistakes in God's plan. Do you remember what happened? Because of that edict, because of that order, because of that decree that we're going to number the people, everyone had to return to their place of origin to be taxed, to be counted, and guess what? There was a pregnant woman and her on her camel or her donkey uh, uh, in her entourage. And who, her, she and her husband made a historic journey to a place called Bethlehem. Mary, that virgin mother of Jesus, was guided by the sovereignty of God and to the place prophesied in the Old Testament hundreds of years earlier where Christ would be born. That should give you goosebumps. The reality of the birth of Christ, at the timing, it was perfect. Oh, there was certainly religious and cultural uh, uh, preparation. There was political preparation. But I also want to share with you that there was spiritual preparation. Spiritual preparation. We go back to Galatians chapter 3. You have, if you have your Bible still open there in Galatians 4, go back to Galatians chapter 3. I want to break down a passage of Scripture. Bear with me. It'll make sense once I finish. In Galatians 3, verses 23 through 25, these verses really provide an analogy of how God prepared the people's heart uh, to receive the Messiah. Verse number 22, the Bible says, The Scripture hath concluded... All under sin. That is, by reading the Bible, we know that we are sinners. Are you a sinner this morning? Yes. 
Verse 23 says that before faith came, we were kept under the law. Before Jesus came, people tried to keep God's Old Testament law. I say, praise the Lord, we don't live under the law. In fact, there would be people here, maybe myself included, who wouldn't be here because we'd have already been stoned to death because we can't keep the law. But these people steeped in their religion, steeped in this whole culture, they tried, that when he says under the law, they were trying to keep all the tenets of the law. Guess what? They couldn't do it. It was impossible. Look with me, verse 24, God had designed it that way. Verse 24 says that the law was our schoolmaster, or it's our, our tutor to bring us unto Christ. In other words, because we realize keeping the law can't save us, we need a Savior. And that Savior, his name is Jesus. Then in chapter 4, verse number 1, Paul uses a slightly different analogy. He speaks of an heir who is a child. In fact, he says there was, that such an heir differeth nothing from a servant, even though he's Lord of all. Why is that? Because he's under the tutors. He's under the governors. Tutors who make him study. Tutors who point out his faults. Tutors who punish his mistakes. However, this this only lasts for a while until the time appointed of the father. And in Greek culture, this wealthy young heir, he is schooled, he's disciplined, he, he had been treated like a slave until that time his father gives him his full inheritance. In verse number three that we read, the Bible says we were children in bondage under the elements of the world. God's people were under the law, the, the Tudor guardian. The law was harsh, and its punishment was harsh. But look at verse 4. I love verse 4. We were in bondage until the fullness of the time was come. Maybe if you mark in your Bibles or in your notes, you could draw a line from that phrase in verse number 2 until the time appointed of the Father to the phrase in verse number 4 when the fullness of the time was come. Jesus coming, it signified that the time for a rich inheritance had arrived. My friend, if you know Jesus, you're fabulously rich. You're wealthy beyond measure. God's timing. His perfect timing, that perfect day, uh, reminds us that we're no longer under the law. The fullness of the time means that we now live in the full inheritance of God's spiritual blessings. I'm so thankful that God's plan was perfect. Second thing I see in this passage of Scripture about the perfect plan of God is we see uh, the purpose of his coming. Do you know there was an absolute purpose for Jesus coming to this earth? In verse number four, we see, first of all, that Jesus came to fulfill. Fulfill. Jesus came in the fullness of time to fulfill the work of the Lord. There was much to that night in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, uh, much more than merely a babe in a manger. The Bible says God sent forth his Son, Jesus, he left his place of prominence and privilege in heaven to dwell in the womb of a young woman from Nazareth. How the angels must have trembled with awe. The creator of the universe was carried in a woman's belly. He was 
made or born of a woman. This speaks of his humanity. And because he was the offspring of the Holy Spirit and had no human father, he is absolutely divine. However, in his mother, he's absolutely human. And so he often referred to himself this way, as the son of man. And I think this is vital. It means Jesus understood what it was like to be a man. He knows the hurts and the hardships, and he knows the grief of uh, of being a man. He knows what it's like to be a human. And the Bible says this, Jesus was made. Remember what we just talked about the law? He was made or born under the law. Jesus was born under that tutor. He was born under that guardian. However, Jesus was different from all other men and women. The law didn't point out his sin and his failures because he had none. On the contrary, the law pointed out his perfection. Jesus was perfect. The law proved that Jesus was qualified to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. No other person could be the perfect sacrifice. Now, here's where your Bible is amazing. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, let us help you get a Bible. You should have a Bible where you can see what I'm talking about this morning. God had referred to his coming Savior some 400 times in the Old Testament. Written in different time periods, different generations, free and not free. Captured in bondage, divided kingdoms. God spoke about his son, his savior coming some 400 times. Jesus came to earth with a mission, and his mission was simply this. I must do my father's will. In fact, he said this. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. I am come to show you that you can live perfect. And he was the only person able to do it. None of us, because of our sinful nature, could keep all the tenets of the law. Jesus had more in mind in his coming to earth than giving us a holiday. Did you hear that? The reason Jesus came was not to give us a holiday. God had a great purpose in the coming of his son. God had planned this event before the earth was formed. Now the time was right. It was perfect for Christ to come. Jesus came to redeem. The purpose was that Jesus came to redeem. We see that in verse number 5. Jesus not only came to fulfill the law and the prophets, the Bible says he came to redeem them that were under the curse of the law, under the restrictions of the law. Most people think that God will accept them on the basis of their good works. And they believe that God somehow measures their good deeds against their bad deeds and, and that in the end of their, uh, of their life that their good deeds will be greater than their bad deeds and everything's going to work out okay. Guess what? No one's that good. In Isaiah 64, the prophet wrote this, all of our unrighteousness is as what? Filthy, dirty, smelly, stinking, pus-filled rags. That's the point of the Old Testament law. It is our tutor, our teacher that shows us that at our very best that we can never be good enough. And it points us to this. I need a Savior. I'd like for us to say that this morning, that phrase, I need a Savior, because it's true. 
for every single one of us. And I, don't, I really don't care about your background. I don't care how you could come up and tell me uh, about all the good deeds of righteousness you've done to help other people. The fact is, is that I need a Savior, and you need a Savior too. Let's personalize that this morning. Let's say that together. I need a Savior. Let's say that one more time. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. And that is why Jesus came to this earth. So uh, our, our, our works, uh, they testify to the fact that we cannot be righteous in of ourselves. And so Jesus came. He bore our humanity. He bore or, or, or our iniquity, iniquity was placed on him. He died on the cross in our place. Um, he accepted the full measure of God's punishment of our sin and placed it on his son. Some of you who are older, you might understand this illustration. When I was younger, um, we would go to the neighborhood grocery store, and uh, my mom would pay for the groceries, and depending on how big the bill is, she would get these green stamps. How many of you remember green stamps? All right. Uh, how many? Let's ask that a question. How many of you have no idea what green stamps are? Okay, that's all the younger folks um, in our congregation. Mom would get green stamps, and with that green stamp, there was a book. And so depending on the, the amount of the stamps, she would complete that, uh, that booklet and put those green stamps. It's sort of like a reward system. And then when she filled up that booklet, she was able to do the, go to the, the customer service or redemption center, and she's able to buy stuff with her green stamps and the booklet that had been uh, prepared. You know, if I could use that quirky illustration to say this, the redemption center uh, that accepted those silly stamps, may I just say, Jesus died for our sins. He offers his death back to his father as a, a payment to redeem, to as the green stamp book that's been completed. Here, Heavenly Father, I want to buy back those that I died for. I want to uh, free them from the penalty. I want to free them from the power of sin that has a stranglehold on them. And you know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus did that, and he's still doing it today. That offer still stands. We have one of only two choices. We can choose to live our lives in our own strength. And we could say, my religion will get me to heaven. My baptism will get me to heaven. My good works will get me to heaven. And we can take our own chances that I'll live righteously enough to earn my way to heaven. Oh, my friend, you're going to be sadly dis uh, disappointed because at the last breath that you breathe on this earth, the next breath will be in a place called hell. Because you cannot live perfect enough. Oh, sometimes we have visitors and, and you say, well, you're just trying to get me to become a Baptist. Absolutely not. I'm trying to get you to become a Christian. A Christ follower. Someone who will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We have one of two choices. I can do it in my own strength. Or the second choice is that I can accept God's offer of salvation by faith uh, and the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ. And by the way, that would be the best Christmas ever. The perfect Christmas to know Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. Oh, quickly as my time, as the clock is ticking, Jesus came to adopt 
one of the reasons or purposes that he came, Jesus came to adopt. In verse number 5, this verse teaches that Jesus' purpose in coming was not only to fulfill, not only to redeem, but to adopt us into his forever family, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, that word adoption in the Greek comes from two Greek words. One, the first part of that Greek word means to place, and the second part of that uh, Greek word means a son. Thus, adoption literally means this in the Greek language, the placing of a son. And when you come to Jesus, when you were saved, God adopted you into his forever family. He not only forgave you of your sins, he assured you of a home in heaven. He placed you um, uh, in his family. And guess what? He seals that with the Holy Spirit of God coming to live within you. He made you a son or he made you a daughter. And now all you you have to do is live with the privileges of sonship. And uh, I am so thankful of this beautiful picture that's been given to us um, uh, about adoption. And within our own congregation, there are those of you who have been adopted. And this has to be so much more special even to you. Understand that the earthly adoption also is a spiritual adoption of what God literally does for each one of us. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, there's an interesting story. It describes how King David, um, uh, he was ascending the throne, and he was taking care of business, and he brought the, the grandson of his arch enemy, King Saul, a young man named Mephibosheth, uh, into his house. Now, it was customary for the king to kill the offspring of the previous king. David didn't do that. King David, he brought this poor, lonely, crippled boy into his home. And he seated him at his table. He gave him the best of the food. The table covered his crippled legs. And may I just say, that is a beautiful story. God allows us to sit at his table, and he covers us and all of our sins, our crippledness, our failures. It's covered when we're seated at his table. Friends, Christmas means that I've been adopted. And as the old song says, I'm a child of the king, a child of the king. Jesus was born in a manger not only to pay for my sins, but also to adopt me into God's forever family. Are you part of God's forever family today? I trust that would be your testimony. Finally, this morning, very quickly, the perfect plan from Galatians that I see here, number three, is the privilege of that we see in his coming, the privileges that are available to us of his coming. Listen to what the Bible says. We are no longer slaves, but we're sons. We're no longer slaves, but we're sons. Verse 7 says, Thou art no more a servant, but a son. Verse 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. Verse 4 says, God sent forth his Son. And here he says, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son. God sent his Son to give us access to him. And he sends his Holy Spirit to give us intimacy with him. Do you have that this morning? Do you know that you have an intimate relationship with the God of heaven because the Holy Spirit of God lives within you? Because we're not slaves, because we have God's spirit indwelling, our hearts can literally cry out in triumphal worship, Abba, Father. It's the spirit who's crying out, Abba, Father. What does that word Abba mean? 
The word is a tender expression of the word father, or what we would say daddy. When we were younger, we may have called our dad daddy or dad. It's a tender expression in the English language of that word dad or daddy. God makes us sons, and he brings us close in an intimacy with him. He puts his spirit in, in us, and uh, he allows us to call him Abba or daddy or father. We are not just sons. Oh, no, we're not just slaves. Uh, we're sons. But we're not just sons. The Bible says we are also heirs. We're not just sons, but we're heirs. Oh, we strive after the foolishness of the world's um, items and, and commerce, and we seek after this world so much. But may I just tell you, verse number 7 continues. It follows a sense of logic. If you're a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. If through Christ you have become a son, then it makes sense that a son, uh, that you're also an heir. Now, what is an heir? An heir indicates, it, it, an heir, it indicates that there's something to be received. It an heir is someone who inherits the wealth of his father. And as believers, we have and we will inherit the fullness of the father's wealth. Christmas means that we have not only the gift of salvation, but the wealth of our father in heaven. One day when you die from, and you pass from this life to the next life, it's going to be astounding what's available for you. Romans chapter 8 says it this way. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Oh, let me wrap this up. Our time is, is gone. Over 2,000 years ago, there came a night when the fullness of the time had come. It was a perfect day. The angels appeared over the portals of heaven in expectancy. The plan of God through the ages was beginning to literally unfold. And it would be only moments before they announced to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You're going to find that babe wrapped in swaddling or wrapped in rags. And he's going to be lying in a manger. Thus the fullness of the time came. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, made and born under the law, so that he could ultimately defeat the law. And unable to contain, uh, just imagine the angels of heaven unable to contain their joy any longer. The angels would explode with a cry of jubilation. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I wonder if you've ever experienced that fullness. You've ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior.